and welcome back to the Past and Present Podcast. This is Kim Groves, hoping you have had a lovely week so far. Today we are going to conclude our series on Jericho with an article, an article by Suzanne Singer entitled The Winter Palaces of Jericho. This appeared in the June 1977 issue of Biblical Archaeology Review. And uh, in it, she describes uh, the, the discovery and the reconstruction of what they uh, believe were the winter palaces of mostly of Herod. Um, so we're actually fast forwarding a little bit from the times that we've been discussing. So um, Dr. Singer starts out to say, about for about ten thousand years, there have been um, there has been a city at Jericho. So the earliest settlements um, arose on a hillock uh, close to the spring Ein El Sultan, and the spring, which still gives the city of Jericho a lush appearance, made life possible where average annual rainfall is less than four inches per year. After the late Stone Age, so this is after the period. Um, uh, actually um, before uh, the Israelites were said to have conquered it. Other civilizations came and went on the same spot, adding debris to a growing mound, which we now know as the ancient, the tell of ancient Jericho. And uh, Dr. Singer does reference Kathleen Kenyon, who excavated the tell in the 50s and found life concentrated principally in the area of the tell, which makes sense. So think of a tell as like an artificial hill, but under that hill, there are layers that show the building, destruction, rebuilding, destruction, rebuilding of a town or a city. So um, in the second century BCE, the Hasmonean kings of Israel, which were descendants of the Maccabees, came to Jericho, and they were the first to very efficiently harness water from the several rich springs in the nearby mountains to take uh, advantage of the agricultural possibilities that existed in the Jericho Plain. So they built a series of aqueducts um, in the area in order to bring water from those areas into this desert area. So this, these flat plains actually were very good for archaeology, but the lack of water was, of course, a, a problem. So in order to resolve that issue, they did, in fact, um, create aqueducts, which is not uncommon and unknown uh, given the, the development of the Roman Empire. So the, the development of aqueducts in the Roman Empire, it spread to the wider culture around so the, the the knowledge of the aqueducts was was uh, transmitted um so this new source of water meant trees crops gardens dates figs persimmons vegetables and balsam uh which was prized for its perfume and medicinal use uh su was supplied by jericho to the wider roman empire palaces were built near these agricultural estates and it was a retreat from Jericho's or I'm sorry Jerusalem's very cold winters. So the Hasmonean dynasty was succeeded in 37 BCE by Herod the Great and this is the Herod uh, that we think of when we talk about in, in biblical uh, uh, car incarnations. 
Um, he actually incorporated these Hasmonean accomplishments into an expanded plan of palatial buildings, pools, and gardens. So, not long after Herod's time, but before the destruction of the Second Temple in 70 AD, uh, the palaces were apparently abandoned. And then, for about 1,700 years, the site lay undisturbed, protected by human intrusion, by the barrenness that existed in the area. So, um, there were, uh, but not in 1950, large-scale excavations were carried out by a team led by Dr. Kelso and D.C. Baramke, who were searching for New Testament Jericho. So they believed the pair of tells were the remains of two towers uh, that were destroyed by Pompey on his way to conquer Judea in 63 BCE. And this was actually not correct, but this was the basis for, um, they had a basis for their idea based, uh, again, they were reading on the first century historian Strabo, and he they believed that based on their location, these were towers that were conquered by Pompey, were destroyed by Pompey. Uh, they also, they actually had uncovered impressive remains of Herodian structures and decorative gardens. And so these excavations were continued a year later by Dr. Pritchard of University of Pennsylvania. Um, and uh, he identified a large building near the Southern Mound, which he identified as a gymnasium, which again was a mistake. A, a lot of archaeology starts out with assumptions that are later discovered to be errors, but you have to start somewhere. You have to give it a name. You, you don't know 100% what it is. You call it something until you discover more information in order to define what it truly is. So in 1973, excavations began, which would reveal the true scope and magnificence of the site. And it was directed by the Israeli archaeologist Ehud Netzer of Hebrew University. And at the time of this writing in 1977, the dig was still going on. Again, this, this article is 44 years old. Um, and so, uh, again, you, you know, th there's some time that's elapsed. But I thought it was very interesting to talk about winter palaces. So these excavations have untangled the historical significance and sequence of the various buildings on the site, and they have exposed the complicated water system that has served the site and have uncovered a vast range of details of the royal residence. So um, the Hasmoneans, according to Netzer, built an elaborate aqueduct system, which we already have talked about, which carried water from the springs of Ainumia, which is four miles from there, uh, in, the, in Duke, and perhaps Ain Oja, which is 10 miles away, all in the Judean mountains to every corner of the Jericho Plain. So this was no small engineering or, uh, 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 undertaking. This was enormous. We're talking about a scale of aqueducts on, on par with the Roman Empire, which again was completely logical considering the um, expansiveness of the Roman Empire. And at one point, the Roman Empire encompassed the entire, uh, nearly the entire known world. Um, so uh, this, this complicated watering system uh, served royal residences and agricultural estates uh, for uh, close to 200 years. So um, the Hasmoneans... Um, also uh, found a palace, uh, I'm sorry, Netzer found a remain of the Hasmonean Palace 
um, and has, uh, that had previously been identified as one of the towers referred to by Strabo, the first century historian. Some of the walls of the Hasmonean Palace now stand exposed almost 20 feet high. And the palace probably had a couple of stories and was built around a central court. Again, what you would think of as a modern-ish palace. Uh, fragments of painted and molding, molded stucco suggest the actual appearance of the palace walls. Now, we don't know exactly when this palace was built, although Netzer believed that it was uh, suggested the reign of Alexander Yanai, which was 103 BCE to 76 BCE. So it was clearly occupied during all the late Hasmonean period and during the early part of Herod's reign. So, of course, we know this information because of coins, pottery, and renovations and overlapping additions. So uh, this palace is apparently referred to by the first century Jewish historian Josephus, uh, or Josephus as the former palace in Jericho. Um, so Josephus, uh, we're going to reference him off and on. He was a very prominent Jewish uh, historian. Uh, Netzer then discovers a huge pool more than 100 feet long and 60 feet wide. It's almost in places as, as deep as 12 feet and divided into two parts by a wall, about 18 feet wide, but only half as high as the pool itself. So the pool itself was used for swimming and bathing, and when it was only half full, it could function as two pools separated by the podium. So a famous murder by drowning very likely occurred in this pool. Uh, so the, the story, and I'm going to... Uh, a, uh, for the sake of brevity, I'm going to shorten it. I'm not, I'm not going to quote Jef Josephus. Uh, uh, Herod appointed as a high priest a man named Hanau, who had been an obscure priest in Babylon and of no great family lineage. Now, the priest positions were usually given to uh, people who had a great family lineage. Now, this greatly offended Herod's Hasmonean wife, Mariamne, and his Hasmonean mother-in-law, Alexandra, because Mariamne's uh, 17-year-old brother, Alexandra's son, was due to become a high priest. As a result of Mariamne's and Alexandra's machinations, Herod relented, dismissed Hanel, and appointed his 17-year-old Hasmonean brother-in-law, Aristobulus III, as high priest. When Aristobulus appeared before the people for the first time, dressed in the ceremonial garb of the high priest on the Feast of Tabernacles, in 36 BCE, he was welcomed with cries of joy and uh, undisguised affection. Herod saw the Hasmonean Aristobulus as a threat to his power, so he had him murdered. So jo jo uh, Josephus actually you know, describes this in, in much more detail. So then after Aristobulus was murdered by Herod, Herod then reappointed his lackey Hananel as high priest. So uh, the drowning episode is especially significant because it closely corroborates what archaeology has uncovered. So, um, so again, here is a historian talking about something that happened and archaeology backing it up. North of the Hasmonean Palace Mound is an area divided into a large number of ritual baths and smaller bathing pools fed by branches of the aqueduct system. Um, so this is built during phases of the Hasmonean residence. Uh, this area is remarkable for the number and variety of bathing arrangements. So this was, these were part of, of everyday routine uh, in the family, in a family which included kings and high priests. 
Uh, each of the baths has two parts, a storage pool into which the free-flowing water comes via an aqueduct branch and the stepped pool itself, the stepped bathing pool itself. So a channel between the two parts permitted the bathing pool to be cleaned and new water introduced even when the flow from the springs was scant. So we have a retaining pool and then the main bath. The Hasmonean Palace Complex was far surpassed by the master builder of them all, Herod the Great. Herod lost ownership of Jericho when in 36 BCE, Mark Antony gave the area to his lover, Cleopatra. Cleopatra promptly leased the rich agricultural land back to Herod, who held it in this way for the next six years. Uh, now, according to Josephus, Cleopatra had some passion for Herod and seemed overcome with love for him. And when Cleopatra committed suicide, the area was returned to Herod outright. Uh, Cleopatra is a very fascinating, fascinating woman. And uh, I read a several years ago, actually I can't say I read it, I listened to it on audiobook, uh, a biography of Cleopatra. And it was called Cleopatra, A Life, I believe. And it's, it was an amazing book. I, I absolutely adored that book. And it was so rich, I was transported. And I, I've never read historical nonfiction written in such an amazing way. Herod's first building activity was on the south side of the Wadi Kelt, about 400 yards from the Hasmonean Palace, and where Herod built, here is where Herod built his palace, which was Pritchard's Gymnasium. And he carried out major irrigation and land development projects. Um, carrying water into aqueducts from the three rich springs to the west. So, but this first palace wasn't quite enough for Herod. Uh, later in his reign, he constructs an entirely new and magnificent complex on the northern bank of the Wadi Kelt. Um, so, uh, again, enough is never enough for Herod. And we, we learn this uh, even in the biblical accounts of, of the things that he does. So this new palace... Uh, on the northern side, looked over out an elaborate ornamental garden on the southern bank of the wadi. On the same side of the wadi is a is as the garden is a small mound which Kelso and Baramiki called a Hellenistic tower, but which Netzer identifies as an artificial tell on which Herod builds an older and smaller version of the mound palace fortress he was to build later on the giant artificial mound so in other words he builds a small version of it and then magnifies it and and, and brings it actually to life um so uh now uh the ground uh the, the mound palace fortress uh on the Herodium was where the great king according to josephus was buried the ornamental garden uh, was part of the same master plan. Uh, there was a facade interrupted by 24 niches, for possibly for statues. Major sections of the long wall and its stepped central hemocycle still stand today. And if you actually look at this article, you will see these, these pictures attached. Now, just as we know the columns from their negative impressions, we know the reception hall's floor design, which is preserved in the mortar of the floor bedding. We have small scattered fragments of the imported marble and colored local stone, which had once been set into the floor bedding, still hint at the original elegance of the floor. And there were two open courtyards in the northern wing, both colonnaded on three sides, one in Ionic and one in Corinthian style, which is two different column types. Um, 
uh, the Western Court had on its fourth side a semicircular apse almost 30 feet in diameter. The bath on the northern wing consisted of five rooms, including an entrance hall to undress, two warm rooms, a hot room, and a cold room, all in traditional Roman fashion. So um, the frigidarium is the most striking room and the most confusing until it's actually explained. So um, the article does go into great detail about the bath, and I, I want to leave that for you guys to actually read. So after the Herodian dynasty ended in the first century, century AD, the economic demand for Jericho's rich crops diminished. The population of the country dwindled, mainly as a result of the first Jewish revolt, which ended in 70 AD with the Roman destruction of the Jerusalem temple. And I should say 70 um, uh, CE instead of AD, since we're trying to, I'm trying to, to keep that common era and before the common era uh, separate. So in 70 CE, with the Roman destruction of the Jerusalem temple, the two Roman procurators uh, no longer maintained the elaborate and wide-swept aqueduct system, so the channels were eventually damaged during the often violent winter floods, and finally the aqueduct ceased to function at all. From the archaeological evidence, it seems that by the middle of the first century, intensive use of the site and a gradual process of decline set in, and by the 8th century CE, no one remained. So the desert reclaimed its original portion, and uh, again, it sand drifts in and covers up the, the, um, the remains. So uh, I think that about ends us today on our talk on the Winter Palaces at Jericho. My, uh, this article is called The Winter Palaces of Jericho by Suzanne Singer, and it is found in the June 1977 issue of Biblical Archaeology Review. You can find it online at www.baslibrary.org. I hope you will join us on Monday when we will continue on our uh, talk on... Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and we will be discussing righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And Pharisees, we were discussing the uh, scribes uh, and the Pharisees. Again, if you want to reach out to me via email, I can be reached at kimg.pastandpresentpodcast at gmail.com on the Twitter machine at at podcast underscore past and on Facebook at Rebirth Network and Rebirth Encouraged, both with a purple heart between the words. Until next time, I encourage you to stay blessed and unstressed and unbothered by the rest. God bless.